Section 32 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume, Volume 1D, Section 32 chapter forty two part seven elizabeth foresaw that this house of commons like all the foregoing would be governed by the puritans and therefore to obviate their enterprises she renewed at the beginning of the session her usual injunction that the parliament should not on any account presume to treat of matters ecclesiastical notwithstanding this strict inhibition the zeal of one damport moved him to present a bill to the commons for remedying spiritual grievances and for restraining the tyranny of the ecclesiastical commission which were certainly great but when mr secretary woley reminded the house of her majesty's commands no one durst second the motion the bill was not so much as read, and the speaker returned it to Damport without taking the least notice of it. Some members of the House, notwithstanding the general submission, were even committed to custody on account of this attempt. The imperious conduct of Elizabeth appeared still more clearly in another parliamentary transaction. A right of purveyance was an ancient prerogative, by which the officers of the crown could at pleasure take provisions for the household from all the neighbouring counties and could make use of the carts and carriages of the farmers and the price of these commodities and services was fixed and stated the payment of the money was often distant and uncertain and the rates being fixed before the discovery of the west indies or much inferior to the present market price so that purveyance besides the slavery of it was always regarded as a great burden and being arbitrary and casual was liable to great abuses we may fairly presume that the hungry courtiers of elizabeth supported by her unlimited power would be sure to render this prerogative very oppressive to the people and the commons had last session found it necessary to pass a bill for regulating those exactions but the bill was lost in the house of peers the continuance of the abuses begat a new attempt for redress and the same bill was now revived and again sent up to the house of peers together with a bill for some new regulations in the court of exchequer soon after the commons received a message from the upper house desiring them to appoint a committee for a conference at this conference the peers informed them that the queen by a message delivered by lord burleigh had expressed her displeasure that the commons should presume to touch on her prerogative if there were any abuses she said either in imposing purveyance or in the practice of the court of exchequer 
her majesty was both able and willing to provide due reformation but would not permit the parliament to intermeddle in these matters the commons alarmed at this intelligence appointed another committee to attend the queen and endeavour to satisfy her of their humble and dutiful intentions elizabeth gave gracious reception to the committee she expressed her great inestimable loving care towards her loving subjects which she said was greater than of her own self or even than any of them could have of themselves she told them that she had already given orders for an inquiry into the abuses attending purveyance but the dangers of the spanish invasion had retarded the progress of the design that she had as much skill will and power to rule her household as any subjects whatsoever to govern theirs and needed as little the assistance of her neighbours that the exchequer was her chamber consequently more near to her than even her household and therefore the less proper for them to intermeddle with and that she would of herself with advice of her counsel and the judges redress every grievance in these matters but would not permit the commons by laws moved without her privity to bereave her of the honour of attending these regulations the issue of this matter was the same that attended all contests between elizabeth and her parliaments she seems even to have been more imperious in this particular than her predecessors at least her more remote ones for they often permitted the abuses of purveyance to be addressed by law edward the third a very arbitrary prince allowed ten several statutes to be enacted for that purpose in so great awe did the commons stand of every courtier as well as of the crown that they durst use no freedom of speech which they thought would give the least offence to any of them sir edward hobby showed in the house his extreme grief that by some great personage not a member of the house he had been sharply rebuked for speeches delivered in parliament he craved the favour of the house and desired that some of the members might inform that great personage of his true meaning and intention in these speeches the commons to obviate these inconveniences passed a vote that no one should reveal the secrets of the house the discomfiture of the armada had begotten in the nation a kind of enthusiastic passion for enterprises against spain and nothing seemed now impossible to be achieved by the valour and fortune of the english don antonio prior of crato a natural son of the royal family of portugal trusting to the aversion of his countrymen against the castilians had advanced a claim to the crown and flying first to france thence to england had been encouraged both by henry and elizabeth in his pretensions a design was formed by the people not the court of england to conquer the kingdom for don antonio sir francis drake and sir john norris 
were the leaders in this romantic enterprise near twenty thousand volunteers enlisted themselves in the service and ships were hired as well as arms provided at the charge of the adventurers the queen's frugality kept her from contributing more than sixty thousand pounds to the expense and she allowed only six of her ships of war to attend the expedition there was more spirit and bravery than foresight or prudence in the conduct of this enterprise the small stock of the adventurers did not enable them to buy either provisions or ammunition sufficient for such an undertaking they even wanted vessels to stow the numerous volunteers who crowded to them and they were obliged to seize by force some ships of the hans towns which they met with at sea an expedient which set them somewhat at ease in point of room for their men but remedied not the deficiency of their provisions had they sailed directly to portugal it is believed that the goodwill of the people joined to the defenceless state of the country might have ensured them of success but hearing that great preparations were making at the groin for the invasion of england they were induced to go thither and destroy this new armament of spain they broke into the harbour burned some ships of war particularly one commanded by Ricalda, vice-admiral of spain they defeated an army of four or five thousand men which was assembled to oppose them they assaulted the groin and took the lower town which they pillaged and they would have taken the higher though well fortified had they not found their ammunition and provisions beginning to fail them the young earl of essex a nobleman of promising hopes who fired with the thirst of military honour had secretly unknown to the queen stolen from england here joined the adventurers and it was then agreed by common consent to make sail for portugal the main object of their enterprise the english landed at paniche a seaport town twelve leagues from lisbon and norris led the army to that capital while drake undertook to sail up the river and attack the city with united forces by this time the court of spain had got a leisure to prepare against the invasion forces were thrown into lisbon the portuguese were disarmed all suspected persons were taken into custody and thus though the inhabitants bore great affection to don antonio none of them durst declare in favour of the invaders the english army however made themselves masters of the suburbs which abounded with riches of all kinds but as they desired to conciliate the affections of the portuguese and were more intent on honour than profit they observed a strict discipline and abstained from all plunder meanwhile they found their ammunition and provisions much exhausted they had not a single cannon to make a breach in the walls the admiral had not been able to pass some fortresses which guarded the river there was no appearance of an insurrection in their favour 
sickness from fatigue hunger and intemperance in wine and fruits had seized the army so that it was found necessary to make all possible haste to re-embark they were not pursued by the enemy and finding at the mouth of the river sixty ships laden with naval stores they seized them as lawful prize though they belonged to the Hanse towns a neutral power they sailed thence to vigo which they took and burned and having ravaged the country around they set sail and arrived in england above half of these gallant adventurers perished by sickness famine fatigue and the sword and england reaped more honour than profit from this extraordinary enterprise it is computed that eleven hundred gentlemen embarked on board the fleet and that only three hundred and fifty survived those multiplied disasters when these ships were on their voyage homewards they met with the earl of cumberland who was outward bound with a fleet of seven sail all equipped at his own charge except one ship of war which the queen had lent him that nobleman supplied sir francis drake with some provisions a generosity which saved the lives of many of drake's men but for which the others afterwards suffered severely cumberland sailed towards the tirceras and took several prizes from the enemy but the richest valued at a hundred thousand pounds perished in her return with all her cargo near st michael's mount in cornwall many of these adventurers were killed in a rash attempt at the terceras a great mortality seized the rest and it was with difficulty that the few hands which remained were able to steer the ships back into harbour though the signal advantages gained over the spaniards and the spirit thence infused into the english gave elizabeth great security during the rest of her reign she could not forbear keeping an anxious eye on scotland whose situation rendered its revolutions always of importance to her it might have been expected that this high-spirited princess who knew so well to brave danger would not have retained that malignant jealousy towards her heir with which during the lifetime of mary she had been so much agitated james had indeed succeeded to all the claims of his mother but he had not succeeded to the favour of the catholics which could alone render these claims dangerous and as the queen was now well advanced in years and enjoyed an uncontrolled authority over her subjects it was not likely that the king of scots who was of an indolent unambitious temper would ever give her any disturbance in her possession of the throne yet all these circumstances could not remove her timorous suspicions and so far from satisfying the nation by a settlement of the succession or a declaration of james's title she was as anxious to prevent every incident which might anywise raise his credit or procure him the regard of the english as if he had been her immediate rival and competitor 
most of his ministers and favourites were her pensioners and as she was desirous to hinder him from marrying and having children she obliged them to throw obstacles in the way of every alliance even the most reasonable which could be offered him and during some years she succeeded in this malignant policy he had fixed on the elder daughter of the king of denmark who being a remote prince and not powerful could give her no umbrage yet did she so artfully cross this negotiation that the danish monarch impatient of delay married his daughter to the duke of brunswick james then renewed his suit to the younger princess and still found obstacles from the intrigues of elizabeth who merely with a view of interposing delay proposed to him the sister of the king of navarre a princess much older than himself and entirely destitute of fortune the young king besides the desire of securing himself by the prospect of issue from those traitorous attempts too frequent among his subjects had been so watched by the rigid austerity of the ecclesiastics that he had another inducement to marry which is not so usual with monarchs his impatience therefore broke through all the politics of elizabeth the articles of marriage were settled the ceremony was performed by proxy and the princess embarked for scotland but was driven by a storm into a port of norway this tempest and some others which happened near the same time were universally believed in scotland and denmark to have proceeded from a combination of the scottish and danish witches and the dying confession of the criminals was supposed to put the accusation beyond all controversy james however though a great believer in sorcery was not deterred by this incident from taking a voyage in order to conduct his bride home he arrived in norway carried the queen thence to copenhagen and having passed the winter in that city he brought her next spring to scotland where they were joyfully received by the people the clergy alone who never neglected an opportunity of vexing their prince made opposition to the queen's coronation on account of the ceremony of anointing her which they alleged was either a jewish or a popish rite and therefore utterly anti-christian and unlawful but james was as much bent on the ceremony as they were averse to it and after much controversy and many intrigues his authority which had not often happened at last prevailed over their opposition end of section thirty two chapter forty two part seven